0: many great players that have played our game that have played in that championship that have either never won or only won it once and um, you know even to, to be considered in that group or it's, it's pretty um, it's pretty special and it's something that I, I, I am very proud of and I hold very very close.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Golf Journal podcast. I'm Dave Giancola, joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Mike Trostle. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got a treat today as we're joined by Stuart Hagestad, who just wrapped up his second U.S. mid-amateur title in the last five years, having won the 2021 edition at Sankety Head Golf Club on Nantucket. We chat with Stu about how the last five years has changed his life, being a part of the last three winning USA Walker Cup teams, his multiple major championship appearances, and how he's juggling his golf life with his life off the course. Stu has got a lot going on, so plenty to talk about. With no further ado, here he is. Stu, thanks for joining us. It's Mike and Dave at the USGA. How are you today?
0: <laughs> hey, guys, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, all is well on, on my end. Hopefully the same with you.
1: Yeah, I can imagine so, given
2: uh, the last week that you've had. First of all, Stu, congratulations on bringing home your second U.S. Mid-Am title. And I know most people are going to focus on that championship match you had. But first, before we get into that, I just want to focus. You went uh, in the round of 16, you went 23 holes against Stephen Bear, a heck of a player in his own right, second longest match in Mid-Am history. Were there any moments in that match you had that were kind of do or die to stay alive that just kind of shows the, you know, the vagaries of, of match play and that really anything can happen on any day.
0: Yeah. Well, Steven's Steven's really good. we knew that we had our hands full. Um, I knew that that was going to be a super challenging match. And I think he was at least a one, maybe a two-time all American at Clemson. And I know he's one of the best mid-ams in the world. And, um, you know, I know he's, he's an outstanding player, but you know, every hole of that, I guess you could even call it kind of from 16 up until 23, you know, there was kind of something different that happened and I won't run you through it in the interest of of time. But, um, you know, there were times when I knew I had to make a putt, and there were times when he knew he had to make a putt. and, um, you know, it was just physically, I was fine, but mentally I was, I was pretty, pretty exhausted because every that was a total battle. And and I know that um, we'll have many more in the future.
1: Yeah, I know the finish gets pushed to Friday. I don't know many people complaining about an extra day on Nantucket, um, but it's a lot of (laughs) golf. Just overall, you know, we talk about the long match, 23 holes. But overall, for those that maybe aren't watching, you know, the USAM or the Mid-AM on a regular basis, can you just talk about what goes into a week of those events as compared to, let's say, 72-hole stroke play and just the kind of just the grueling nature of the week?
0: Yeah, I mean – We'll start, you know, as it relates. You just made the comment about Nantucket, right? Just getting to Nantucket ended <laughs> up. I mean, you know, uh, I have a close friend that that basically, you know, kind of said, "Hey, I know it's a challenge to get to, but let's talk to everyone when they left." And you know, hopefully, everyone kind of said, "You know, wow, what a special place." But um, it's 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 a lot. It's uh, shoot. I mean, I know it's only a week and change, right? Call eight or nine days, but when you leave, you feel like you know, you know every. Every corner and every every street on that island, and it's um it's it's just it's it's exhausting. It's it's taxing, and obviously, you know, I have a lot of kind of exuberance and elation that's coming from it. But it's um it's it's just a really long week, and I I wish I I wish I could kind of. Give you more, but it's it's just a really really long week.
1: It, it certainly is, and you know you went through a very long week in 2016 on on your way to your first mid am title when you took down Scott Harvey, who's just a legendary mid am in his own right and just amateur golfer overall and, and a heck of a guy. You birdied five of the last six holes. You win on the 37th hole. The the fist pump. I've seen that celebration so many times the last few years because it was just an epic victory. Did that make you appreciate five years later getting back to the winner's circle? and what was the difference there were you kind of green back in 2016 and you kind of just made it to the final and then did it hit you how hard it was going to be to do it again
0: uh it's a great question there's a lot to unpack there um i think i used up all my fist bumps back in 2016 <laughs> um i don't know if i had any this week but um so well there, there's again as i said there's there's a lot to unpack um I have made it to the semis twice, you know, and outside of the two wins. And I put a lot of pressure on myself in the semis because I knew that if I got to the finals over the course of 36 holes, I was playing great both of those weeks. And, you know, maybe there was a little bit of borderline arrogance on my end to be like, Hey, like I'll take anyone. Right. So it was this kind of like me against the world mentality. And and this year, um, you know, I don't know if, you know, having it in the morning, you know, was a huge benefit or whatever, but um, yeah, I, I, think, you know, as you get older and you mature, you know, you begin to, to have other life experiences and maybe you don't put as much pressure on yourself. I, I, I have no idea. Um, but you know, if I think there's a video somewhere out there, a picture somewhere out there, but like after I won in the finals this year, I, I kind of broke down for a second just cause I know everything that comes with it. So relating this year to 2016, there's, there's certainly pros and cons, um, you know, in 2016, I had just played in the Met Am and I had played really well. And, you know, I was a bit younger and I just kind of had this borderline naive, ignorant belief where I was just like, well, you're 25. Like you, you're basically an old college kid. Like you should go out and win. Like I was in great shape and I was hitting it great. And I kind of just had this naive, ignorant degree of self-belief. And I, 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 I I, I say that until I got to the finals and I, I didn't sleep real well the night before the finals. But, you know, this year there's more I think true self-belief as a as opposed to kind of fake self-belief, if that makes sense. Like you can kind of manufacture it and I think there's a little bit more true self-belief that's there. But at the same time, where I go into the cons categories, you also know a lot of the carrots that come with, you know, the spoils of winning. So there's pros and cons. And um, you know, they're they're both they're both good and they're both bad, you know, depending on how you look at it. But um it's it's um I'm it's pretty special.
2: Yeah, Stu, you mentioned playing in the morning this year. The the mid am is a thirty-six hole final, but because of a little bit of weather that came in earlier in the week, a little bit of fog, you had to split that thirty-six hole final up into two days, a Thursday afternoon and then a Friday morning. Thursday afternoon, you get off to a terrific start against Mark Costanza in that final. You're seven up through eight, excuse me, seven up through 11 holes, and then five up through 18 holes. Uh, And obviously in a good spot after 18, but how hard is it to close out a victory against one of the best amateur players in the game?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, if maybe if you had kept playing, the the situation would have been different, but obviously we didn't. So I think, you know, the ability for him to go into reset and conversely for me to go in and to kind of realize what had happened, you know, that we were off to a good start. We knew that he was going to come out you know, kind of guns blazing the next day. So it was, it was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, you kind of had to go and you had to decompress and you had to just kind of go into whatever process you have, you know, stretch, eat, relax, turn your phone off. I mean, you, you name it. Right. So there's kind of a lot to, um, to do in a short period of time. And Um, I, you had to be fluid the whole week. Obviously it's a, it's a long week as far as the mid-am is concerned. And obviously this year an extra day longer, but, um, he is one of the best dams in the country. He was Net player of the year last year in 2020. And we knew that he was extremely capable and extremely good player. And, you know, we, we knew we were going to get a fight from him and that's, that's what ended up happening.
2: So you return on Friday and Mark just kind of chips away at the lead a little bit and he cuts your lead to one down as you're coming down the stretch. Take us to that 34th hole, the moment after Costanza makes his 25-foot birdie putt. Where's your mindset there? How much are you thinking about, you know, what what happened in the past, the fact that you may have been 7-up versus, you know, how much can you focus your mind and focus on that one putt, that one moment?
0: Well, I'll take you back to 14 first because when he cut it to one with five to play and he just made a 30-footer, he gets this great wedge shot, you know, on 14. I hit mine to 20 feet. He's like 8 or 10 feet I go first. I miss mine. He hits this putt that was low, if not a lot of speed. And that was the first one where I was like, wait a second. Like that was a putt to me that kind of signified that maybe he had either realized what he had done or, you know, he was nervous again. He wasn't playing as much with his back against the wall in, in a sense, you know, before there's almost this, like nothing to lose mentality. And at that point it was like, it just, it was a little bit more conservative and that to me, was like, okay, like, you know, we're, not necessarily back in the driver's seat, but like, we've been here before. We know what this is going to feel like over the next hour. Like we've, you know, we're, we're, we still have a one shot lead with four to go. Like, let's, let's close this thing out. So we go to 16 and for some reason that green just seemed to have putts going in the whole week. I feel like I didn't play anyone in match play that didn't have a one putt on that hole. Uh, or sorry, that didn't have, right. So like that made a two putt on that hole. So I just, I had this weird feeling. I had a great wedge shot in there. I just had this weird feeling. I'm like, you have to make this. And I didn't mean necessarily you're going to go to two up or that you were going to stay at one up, or I didn't know what it meant, but like I just had this weird premonition that I was going to have to make that. So he hits a great putt eight feet in. I probably used a certain word. I can't say on this. The catch (laughs) flip. Are you kidding me? Um, so I, it was just, I knew it was coming and it was still kind of a body blow and, you know, at that point, it almost had my back against the wall because going from one up to even with two holes to play is a pretty substantial change. And, um, yeah, I, I was able to hit my best putt of the day and, you know, probably one of the best of my life. And it's it's certainly one that I'm going to remember for a long time because when we needed to have it, you know, we got it. And um, it was, I don't need to hit it again, we'll say that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a clutch birdie on, on the 35th hole. You win two and one for your second mid-am title and and with that second usga title you're the fifth player to win multiple usams uh, you know a great list including jay sigel nathan smith and spider miller your walker cup captain in 2017 Stu. what does it mean to you to put your name on that robert t jones junior trophy twice
0: so i think there's actually six i think jim stewart and tim jackson also won it twice and you're the historian so i i'd like to double check (laughs) that but, um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty outstanding group of players. I mean, it's a group of guys that I've looked up to for a very long time. And, you know, just to be kind of mentioned in the same breath is, is really unbelievable. Um, you know, there's, there's so many great players that have played our game, that have played in that championship, that have either never won it or only won it once. And, um, you know, even to, to be considered in that group, or, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty special. And it's something that I, I, I am very proud of and I hold very, very close.
2: Stu, you are teaching me stuff all the time. You're right indeed, six-player to do it, five previous players and then you. So uh, not only are you Sorry. two-time <laughs> USGA champion, but also uh, amateur historian. So not not that. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Stu, one thing that did not come automatically with your 2016 mid-amateur win at Stonewall was the exemption to the U.S. Open. You played in that 2017 U.S. Open, but you had to qualify. Uh, since that
0: 2016... Oh, I... Oh, I oh, I remember.
1: I remember. (laughs) Well, you did it three times in a row. I had to point out the year in (laughs) which you qualified. Um, But, uh, you know, since that 2016 title, that U.S. Open exemption has been added um, to kind of what the champion receives as winning the Mid-Am. What does it mean to you now, just knowing you got your ticket booked to Brookline, Massachusetts? Of course, you played in the 2013 U.S. Amateur when Matt Fitzpatrick took home the Havemeyer.
0: Yeah, I think he uh, I think he beat Oliver Goss in the finals, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Um, <laughs> you really got the history down today, Stu. Yeah, my job's in jeopardy, well, Stu.
0: I, when it comes to tournaments I've played in, I, I feel like my memory's pretty good. Um, no, I, listen, I, when I played the 2013 USAM at the time, that was the hardest golf course I'd ever played. Um, and then I played the US Open at Shinnecock, and that then became the hardest golf course I'd ever played. So... <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, it's still in the top two. Um, I know it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really tough and really challenging, but that's exactly what a U.S. open should be. And um, no, it's, it's an amazing, I talked about one of the carrots that come with, you know, the spoils of winning after, you know, earlier and yeah, it's, it's um, it's, you know, at the end of your amateur career, you know, you're, you're measured by a handful of things and how many majors you played in, what your, what your degree of success in those you know, respective majors are, 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 are pretty high on the list of things that you hold dearly, you know, to, to your, your list of you know goals in the world of amateur golf. And um, I'm just, I'm beyond thrilled to have a spot in the field. And I just, I'm, I'm so excited, and I can't
1: wait. Well, we're excited to see you in another U.S. Open. You know, since that 2016 victory, the perks have led you to a lot of majors. We've seen the success you've had in those majors. We saw you sitting in Butler Cabin as low amateur at the Masters Tournament. You know, again, you'll, you'll likely get an invitation to the 22 Masters after winning at Sankety Head. What have those events taught you? And, and we'll get to the Walker Cup soon. But what has that taught you about, yes, your game of golf, but how to prepare and how to be a leader on something like a Walker cup team?
0: Yeah. Um, Josh, a lot, another great question. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that it has kind of opened up for me is there's a lot of self-belief, you know, both on and off the golf course, obviously more on the golf course, but you know, to, to go out there and to, to know what it's like to hit balls on a range with guys you've looked up to your entire life, to know what it's like to play golf courses that are set up for, you know, the major championships, which are, ultimately what the best in the world are measured against at the end of their career um you know to to know what's good enough from a prepared standpoint and i'm kind of an anxious person by nature not necessarily in a scared way but just like in a in a kind of checklist type of way right like in an ocd type of way and i think having some of those experiences that i've had and the ability to kind of pull from a lot of those both tournaments and from the preparation that respectively comes with those tournaments is really fundamental and and integrally important for my success and the ability to prepare for, for those events, you know, kind of leading into them. As far as Walker cups go, um, I've had the chance to, to see and be around a lot of incredible players. A lot of which from that 2017 team will be playing in both of those events, both 17 and 19 shoot all of them. But, I'll use 17 for the sake of this example, but, you know, those are some of the best players in the world now. Um, and, you know, to, to have kind of a one a, a standing rapport with them, but then two, to know what they view as good enough. Um, you know, there's, there's just not a lot that kind of catches you off guard. So you know how to prepare, you know, essentially how to put yourself in the, to give yourself the best opportunity, you know, to go into those week with the opportunity to succeed.
2: Yeah, that was a powerful 2017 Walker Cup team, including Colin Moore, Cameron <laughs> Champ. I mean, you guys were just jam-packed, and uh, that was quite a performance. Stu, one more in on the Walker Cup. Um, you know, obviously you had a great experience. You, three victorious teams, 2017, 2019, and then this most recent one, 2021. How did your role on the team evolve from 2017 when you were at LACC? Kind of a home game for you, and you were just, what, 25, 26 years old to what what happened this past year down at Seminole when obviously things were a little different players getting a little sick but now you really are the veteran on the team did your role change a little bit in those three uh different Walker Cups that you played in
0: yeah definitely I would argue that the old kind of mentor of the team in 17 was Mav because he had been on the team before um certainly I was a am a member at LA and you know, I would kind of get in there and be like, okay, this is the angle you want. And this is, you know, where you want to put it for this pin." And what I realized pretty quickly was these kids are really good. And they knew more about the golf course in a week than I had in 25 years. So, you know, the best way for me to help them was literally just to kind of stay out of their way. So I think from that experience and learning how good some of these kids are that, you know, Hey, if they ask for something or they ask for, you know, a piece of advice or a question and sure answer it. But everyone's golf IQ is incredibly high and much, much higher than mine will ever be. And I think what I could do as I got older was just basically to kind of be, if nothing else, just a constant presence in the room, you know, not necessarily say or do the right things because, you know, it's part of the team. Like that's what makes it fun. You know, you're goofy, everyone's got different personalities. But just really to kind of be there essentially as an older brother to have fun with them, to be a part of the group, you know, to, to make sure to remind them that they've still got to beat the old guy in the room. But then also, you know, just to just to just to kind of be someone if they want maybe, you know, someone to lean on or someone to talk to that I can be that person to.
1: And you've certainly done a tremendous job of it. And we've been here watching it for the last five years. And and those five years undoubtedly have, has changed the trajectory of at least your golf life and certainly the rest of your life. And, and we'll get to what, what you're doing off the field because it, it's unbelievable. I can't believe you can juggle it all. But a couple of years ago, before that 2016 U.S. Mid-Am, you, know, you had played college golf at USC. You're living in New York City. And something propelled you to get back into competitive golf. What was it inside of you that made you pick up the phone and explore your options? you know, with the MGA and what was going on locally that kind of sparked that competitive edge again?
0: Yeah, um, I remember when I first moved back there in 2015, I guess it was, I don't know, I was kind of getting the edge as a lot of guys in the Metropolitan Golf Association do, you know, probably around November, December, January, I don't even remember, but um, I looked at their major schedule and I was very well aware of the MGA and, you know, kind of, how great, you know, they were as far as running tournaments and some of the venues in the Met section. But I remember looking at their calendar for the upcoming year and their stroke play championship was at Friar's Head. Their match play championship was at Balthasar Lower and their Open championship was at Wingfoot. Um, And it was kind of like, oh my gosh, like we, we need to get involved and we need to at least try and go qualify for some of these things. And I always knew that I loved playing competitive golf. I, you know, during college, I discovered that, you know, especially over the summers when I was, you know, working, trying to qualify for USAMs and playing SoCal AMs and stuff like that. But, um, I, I just, I knew that I loved, you know, the itch and the, the, the attraction, you know, that, that came with preparing for events and then obviously going to compete. And, you know, I tried to kind of remember that I grew up playing against guys like, you know, Homa and Weaver, Michael Kim, Hagee, uh, Xander, Cantley, Hostler, I mean, you run through the list, it's like a litany of, you know, current PJ Tour pros. And I figured if I could take that and I could compete against those guys, I could hopefully then take it to New York. So I, I think, you know, a lot of those events did tremendous wonders for me and my self-confidence and belief, you know, on the course. And, you know, I'm very lucky to have an amazing relationship with with a lot of those people at the MGA and they've been a huge, huge part and, um, you know, are very integral to my success.
2: Yeah, Steve played a lot, of, a lot of events in the MGA, a lot for the Southern Cal Golf Association, and, and now 24 USGA championships with the two titles we just talked about. But I want to get to one more thing before we let you go, and, and that's, you know, part of what I consider that makes golf a great game is that there's no flopping, there's no posturing for calls, there's no stealing signs. It kind of is a, a gentleman's game, I guess, without sounding too pretentious, a game of honor. Uh, now I've read a few descriptions of what happened in the mid-am in your quarterfinal match versus Christian Cease. You're two up through 14, but can you describe what happened, what unfolded when you got to the uh, the 15th green there with Christian? Just because I thought it was an extraordinary story and one that I think really embodies a lot of what's good about this game.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I you know first before we get into it, we need to credit him with you know what what he did first because you know, without, without his presence in mind, um, you know, and his kind of gentlemanly type of, you know, good sport type of, you know, action. I, we wouldn't be talking about this, but, um, long story short. So he goes long on 15, the pins in the back. I had a nice shot in there about 10 feet. He asked me to move my mark a couple one way, I think it was left, he chips it up about eight feet. So he's just inside me. And then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of locked in. Right. Cause if you make that putt, then you're three up through, you know, three to play. And anyway, so I go through my whole process, my whole routine. I kind of begin to step into it and he goes, Hey, did you move it back? And I was like, no, shoot. I don't think I did. So I move the mark, go through my process again, hit my putt, miss it. And after I miss it, I'm kind of annoyed with myself, but it also kind of hits me. It's like, wait a minute. If you hit that putt before you move your mark back and you miss it, you lose the hole. You know, he's standing there over his eight footers, he's gonna kind of be getting to look at it. And, you know, for a second, it was kind of like, oh my, like, you're one down with three to putt. I'm doing the math in my head and doing, you know, all the, all the calculations. I'm just like, what are you even doing? Like, this is a no brainer. So I, I was like, hey, that's good. Pick it up, so we go to the next hole. And I, I really didn't think much of it, you know, for him, you know, to give me mine, was unbelievable he didn't or not give me mine but to run, remind me to move it back but yeah. he didn't need to do that And it was just it was a really cool moment i guess between us and i i i think it's been i don't want to say it's been made a bigger deal than it is because in retrospect yeah like it was a cool moment for the two of us to share but he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for what he did and then you know obviously i just i felt like it was the right thing to do and um, you know, it was, it was cool. That's part of what makes our game so great, I guess.
2: Yeah. Two competitors at the height of amateur golf, you know, trying to grind your butts off to try and get the ball in the hole and win this match. And you know, the presence of mind, you know, for Christian to remind you to to move the mark back, and then for you to give him that eight footer, you know, certainly a lot of memories. Totally. Of Twenty-five years ago, nineteen ninety-six yeah. U.S. Amateur, Tiger Woods and Steve Scott. You know, it was certainly a little different from that, but at the same time, I know a lot of us that read it, and as Dave and I were talking be- before this uh, this podcast, uh, I think a-, a lot of similarities be- between the two moments.
0: Well, thank you. I, um, you know, I-, I give him a lot of credit, and I, you know, I'm very appreciative of him. So it was it was really cool. It was a neat moment that we'll have for you know forever.
2: Well, Stu, we've talked a lot about what you're doing on the course these days, being really busy off the course as well, working on your MBA at USC. Uh, When are you scheduled to graduate and and what else is coming up for you this fall and winter?
0: I'm supposed to graduate in May. After these last two weeks, I am so behind. So I've got got a lot to catch up on, but uh, no, I'm scheduled to graduate in May. Um, I haven't signed, but I've you know, essentially been offered for post MBA opportunity. But, um, so we gotta, we gotta kind of figure that out in the next couple weeks or month, but, um, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot. And obviously we have one, at least hopefully two events to prepare for, you know, for next year, but I'm just really excited to put the clubs away and to you know focus on friends and family and to, and to start, you know, kind of looking at other things. And it's just, I, I mean, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to take some time off, uh, hopefully put a bit of weight back on that, I've lost from, you know, a lot of walking, and a lot of stress these last couple of weeks, but that's, uh, uh, it's good. I'm looking forward to some time off and just really kind of Soaking it all in and enjoying
1: it. Well, Stu, we can't thank you enough for joining us. You know, you deserve the time off. I know it's been a busy week. You know, you win the, the championship. You have all these kind of media appearances. Uh, so the train keeps moving. And uh, hey, when you sign that that uh, that letter for for the full time gig, just make sure you block off a couple of, a couple of weekends in June and potentially in April. I think you have some events to play.
0: I think uh, I think we can make that happen in the negotiation
1: process. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Stuart Hagestad, two-time U.S. Mid Amateur champion, 2016 at Stonewall and 2021 at Sankaty Head Golf Club. Stu, again, congratulations, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. You're the best.